0: Hi, I'm Nicole A. Taylor. I am a food writer and producer, and my latest cookbook is titled Watermelon and Redbirds, a cookbook for Juneteenth and Black Celebrations. I am a jewelry horse. Hmm, you're wondering what that is? I freaking love jewelry.
1: I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is The One Recipe, a podcast that asks chefs and great cooks one Huge question. What is there one? That singular recipe that makes any meal feel like a celebration. This week we're hashing out a breakfast favorite with Nicole Taylor. Nicole's a James Beard Award-nominated food writer, a master home cook, and a producer. She has written for the New York Times, Bon Appetit, and Food and Wine magazine. Nicole is the author of the Up South Cookbook, The Last OG cookbook, and her latest, Watermelon and Redbirds, a cookbook for Juneteenth and Black celebrations. Let's get into it. Nicole, thank you so much for being here. It's great to have you.
0: Oh my gosh, Jesse, It's so great to be on your show.
1: And congratulations on the success of your new book, Watermelon and Redbirds. It's the first of its kind to celebrate Juneteenth. How long had you been wanting to write this book and what was the process like?
0: I can't say that I just knew that I was going to be writing this book more than a decade ago. I wish that was the case, but... It was my agent. It was my literary agent really pushing me and saying, listen, you've written a piece for the New York Times about Juneteenth. You celebrate Juneteenth. You've been celebrating it. You should write a book. And I was like, "Ah, me writing a Juneteenth cookbook at the time, it was such a niche holiday. I totally was like, "Mm, maybe I'm not the right person for this. But after really sitting down and thinking about all of my Juneteenth celebrations and thinking about all the stories that I could tell about more than Juneteenth, but other Black celebrations, I said, why not? So around 2018, 2019, I started the process of writing Watermelon and Redbird's.
1: And they kept you pretty busy, right? It sounded like you were immediately writing it and then immediately going on tour. How how was that? How did you juggle it all? Oh, my gosh. Am I giving you war flashbacks a little bit? (laughs)
0: 2019, I started working on the proposal, and at the height of the pandemic, I got this book deal. I got laid off from a job around April of 2020, started back working, head back down, Sadly, at the height of the Black Lives Matter uprising and our country's racial reckoning, I got this book deal.
1: It's a beautiful book, and it's a beautiful way to kind of just celebrate and remind ourselves how important Black joy is and Black celebration in spite of whatever things are going on in the world, so it's it's been super exciting, and you've also spoken about how the process of writing the book felt a little bit more restorative and encouraging than you were expecting it to be. You know, sometimes I feel like readers at home can forget that
0: cookbooks are a lot of lot of
1: work, yeah, so a lot of people have all these horror stories about their
0: process, but it sounded like you had a different experience listen, writing. And producing a cookbook has so many different parts. But I will say that making sure that I focused on joy throughout the cookbook, through the head notes, the essays, the beautiful photography, and the food really kept me joyful, right? Even the moments when I'm like, oh my gosh, do I really have a deadline that's 30 days away? Um, I was able to to, to to tap into happiness, to think about times with family and friends when we didn't have to wear a mask and the bubbly was flowing. So, yeah, this book was a good vacation from what was happening (laughs) in the world at the time. At least the moments that I was, you know, working with my head down.
1: And uh, you also very kindly and casually kind of gloss over the fact that you also had a one-year-old at the time, (laughs) one, one and a half, right?
0: Yeah, I started writing this book um, in New York City, and at the height of the pandemic, we, my family, my now almost four-year-old son and husband, we moved to my hometown, Athens, temporarily. So not only was I testing recipes and having conversations with my designer about the book, I was raising a son and talking to contractors and staying healthy and eating a lot of food and putting notes on what not to eat for family and friends while I'm testing. So yeah, (laughs) no, I, I was raising a family and creating a cookbook that hopefully my son will be proud of 20 years from now.
1: When you were writing the book, were you really thinking about the legacy that you were both transcribing and putting onto paper for some people who hadn't had a chance to actually interact with it? in a hardcover way? And were you thinking about the legacy that you were starting to include your family in also?
0: 100%. I am not going to lie. I was thinking a lot about getting it right. I wanted to make sure, no matter who was picking up the book, where you lived, if you were Black, if you white, Asian, I wanted people to be able to pick up this book and understand Juneteenth. And I was thinking about legacy. I was thinking about tradition. I was thinking about my voice and making sure that I sound like Nicole, like, (laughs) and that when you're reading stuff, it felt like you were having a conversation with me. I wanted to be true to myself, but 100%, I was thinking about legacy and thinking about how important this book was going to be to all Americans for not just um, one summer, but every summer.
1: So now I got to know, is there one recipe that stuck with you from this whole process? (sighs)
0: You know, it's one seasoning, Jesse, that sticks with me. Ooh. A seasoning that I put on a recipe. In the front of Watermelon and Red Bird, I have a whole section dedicated to homemade spices and seasonings. And one of my favorite, I'm not going to lie, yes, I have a favorite there, is the sweet potato seasoning. It is a seasoning that I keep around 24-7, 365. I sprinkle it on my... Sunday, Saturday, sweet potato hash. I sprinkle it on a roasted sweet potato that I've had in the oven forever. It's a wonderful, wonderful seasoning.
1: So had you always been kind of experimenting with perfecting that hash for you?
0: I make that hash so much, I can just close my eyes. It's even hard for me to like do a recipe for the hash, you know, write down a recipe and tell someone how to make it. To me... The sweet potato hash I make tends to be on a weekend for a brunch or a late Saturday morning food gathering. I start with beautiful sweet potatoes. I keep the skin on. I use an orange sweet potato. There are so many varieties, but I keep the skin on. So I use a vegetable scrubber and I scrub the skin Really will get all the dirt off and I cut it into like half inch or quarter inch dice pieces. If I'm really fancy and I know I'm having people over, I will use a salad spinner and make sure the sweet potatoes are nice and dry before it goes into a bubbly pan of fat. Mm -hmm. I will say if I have, you know, I'm feeding four people, I will fry up bacon and use that same bacon fat as a fat for my sweet potato hash. But if you are vegetarian, butter works, a little olive oil. I get it nice and hot, put my sweet potatoes at the bottom, trying to get them nice and crisp. I feel like the the key to making a great hash is not, not moving the sweet potatoes. So just let them get crisp. Make sure there's one even layer and then try to flip all of the little pieces. I know that sounds crazy. (laughs) Um, And before I put the sweet potatoes in, I've already cut up my onions, I love to add like jalapeno or fennel. Fresh fennel is something that I love to add. Bell pepper or red pepper. Once I've turned it and I feel like it's getting brown, I start to add my seasoning. I will take, I'll do it two ways sometimes. I mean, it's kind of up to you. I am an intuitive cook. As Berta Mae Grosner says, I cook with the vibration. I go with the vibes. I've sprinkled it in the pan The seasoning, which I pre make the seasoning. So I have jars of sweet potato seasoning at the ready, always. And so, method number one, sprinkle in the pan, or method number two, you can take all the sweet potatoes out, sprinkle the seasoning on there, give it a nice toss. Um, and if you do this in advance, I've done the wire rack method where I'm trying to keep them cool while I'm, you know, making eggs and I want them to still be toasty. So I'll lay them on a wire rack and just put the the oven on like 200. But yeah, it's super simple. You can switch out the vegetables or aromatics. You can add rosemary if you like. You can even put some of the bacon bits, cut them up into tiny bits and put them in the bowl with the seasoning and serve it like that. Fried egg on top. With a little, just a little yolk. Ooh. With a little
1: yolk. Just giving us a little treat. Giving us a little something to look forward to. And that tip about the wire rack is brilliant. Because what a lot of times people who aren't used to making hashes will do is immediately try to toss it onto either like a plate with lined with paper towels to kind of seep up the oil. But what we really want is to give that hash time to just cool off while also making sure it's not steaming and getting soggy or getting too soft or mushy. But you mentioned just how versatile the spice mix is. What are some of the other recipes or dishes that you've used it on?
0: So I think one of the cool things to do is to make a, a spice butter mixture where you take room temperature butter and maybe uh, a half tablespoon Probably a little bit less than that. And you can hand whip it. Some people will even put it in a mixer and then roll it in wax paper into a really beautiful log. And you create this seasoning butter uh, and you can add it to so many different things, right? You can add it to your sweet potato, but you can take the same butter and add it to a piece of fish, salmon, when you're coming home, right? Or any vegetable. Even though it has the name sweet potato in it, I tend to think of it as this all-purpose thing for vegetables, for fall vegetables, and even proteins.
1: So, Now that we've established fennel is kind of the star in this spice mix, what are some of the other spices at play? It's hot paprika.
0: Yes, you can switch it up and use sweet paprika. Thyme, dried thyme, I should be more specific about that. And really great kosher salt. And then the fennel seed. That's it. It's that simple.
1: And it's making a pretty decent amount, right? Like, this recipe makes two cups.
0: And it lasts a long time. I know some of my friends who are really deep into the food world and are master home cooks like myself, they're like, dried herbs. And I'm like, yes, dried herbs. (laughs) <laughs> I use a yes, ton right. of fresh herbs all the time. I buy them every single week. But I grew up where dried herbs were a staple and they're, they're all, they are they're were always around. I always keep dried herbs around. And I think this is what makes this seasoning so special is because you have dried herbs and you know that if it's in a nice, tight, container and it's closed and it's you know in a dark dry place that it can last a really long time the
1: fact that it's taking precious precious counter space means that it has to be great nicole thank you so much for joining us thank you for cluing us into your your spice expertise and i cannot wait to make this spice mix
0: thank you so much
1: Nicole Taylor is the author of Watermelon and Redbirds. You can find the recipe for her sweet potato hash and that seasoning on Instagram at the.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Alex Simpson, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kabati, Alex Shaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic.